God bless you all. Thank you so much for letting me be here. What a beautiful church, beautiful people. And yeah, I'm really excited about this topic. I guess I don't need that one. But let's, let's open up with a quick word of prayer. God, thank you so much for this day. Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for us, Lord. We even thank you, God, that you're present with us this morning through your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that everything we do this morning would be honoring to you, it would build us up to go out and to shine the light of Christ to the ends of the earth. Amen. Amen. So we'll be in John chapter 4, if you want to open a Bible. I don't use any slides today. John chapter 4. And while you're turning there, you have to address a problem. And that is that the Great Commission is going... But it's not over, and so there's work to be done. Some data, this is from Gordon Conwell. In 1900, 34%, roughly, 34% of the global population was Christian, 34%. In the middle of this year, it's estimated to be around 32%, and that's a 2% decrease. Not a huge change, but it's in the wrong direction, isn't it? In 2022, last year, about 173,000 people died without knowing Jesus every day. 173,000 every day died not knowing Jesus. That's one person lost, passing away every two seconds. It's projected that Islam will be the number one religion on the face of the planet within 50 years. Now, there's a couple of reasons for that. One of them is they tend to have more children on average these days, and that's just that's true. And um, they're also, they are very, I won't say evangelistic, because that means good news, that's ours, but uh, they're, they, they are very serious about proselytizing, and even at the University of Houston where I work, a good friend of mine grew up in Islam and came to America to study abroad like you do, and he gave his life to Jesus, and now he's a campus minister, and he focuses on reaching Muslim students, and he tells me that there is... I think there's a large mosque in Houston that is very, very passionate about getting their message out to the world at the University of Houston. And so they send missionaries, and, and I'll tell you that the MSA, Muslim Student Association, is the largest religious organization at U of H. Okay. And you all, we all know friends, family members that, that don't know the Lord, and we pray, and we fast, or we, we reach out, we have them for dinner, we do things, and they're still not there. And let's think back just for a minute on our own, our own lostness. Even if you grew up in church, Lord knows there's a, there's a time in everybody's life where they, they don't just make a mistake, but we're actually blinded by the, the desires of the world. We actually turn our back on Jesus like Peter did. Peter walked with him, right? Denied him three times. And so where were you when Jesus found you? Where were you when when he rescued you out of darkness, when you were lost and you were really off page, you were really off track, and you were afraid of the mistake that you had made, and he found you, where were you? One more little data point. I don't have a, a source for this. It was quoted to me by an, an Irish evangelist that I like a lot. I think it was Barna originally, but 96% of Christians will only ever sow seeds of faith. I mean, they'll, they'll love on people, maybe serve the poor. Uh, do things to help people. Um, maybe, I don't know if that includes sharing the gospel. That's 96%. What that means is only roughly 4% will actually convert somebody. 
And that is a huge privilege, and I haven't done it that many times, but it's been enough that I can tell you it's the most exciting thing in the world, and we'll talk more about that. But only 4% of Christians are what I would call today reapers. Jesus talks about going out to reap harvest. So only 4%. So a lot of us leave that job. We think, well, that's for, that's for pastors. That's for small group leaders. Or if you're like me and you're an introvert, that's for extroverts. I could never do that. Just give me books and music and a, a guitar and a cabin in the woods. I'll write you books about Jesus, but don't make me talk to anybody. That, that's pretty much my mindset. You can ask my wife. I mean, despite where I'm at right now, that's where my heart has been for a long time. 4% reap harvest. I want to encourage you today not to exclude yourself from that. And I want to increase that number. I want to give you the courage and the hope and the love that you can do this. You can do this. We can do this. John chapter 4. And if you saw the passage in the bulletin down in verse 35, we're, I'm just going to summarize the context here. Jesus is taking his disciples out for ministry, and it says that they had to go through Samaria. And the scripture tells us really clearly that Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And my brief version of why is during the Assyrian exile, the Jews were taken into captivity, into slavery in Assyria. Some of them re remained in the land in Samaria. And when the Assyrians settled in Samaria, they intermarried, and, and some of the Samaritan Jews even worshipped the Assyrian gods. So you can imagine when the rest of the family gets back from Assyria, um, they view these folks who've been left behind and doing their own thing and worshiping other gods as a much lower class um, even out of the family. And there's a lot more going on, but there's that kind of history behind them. So anyway, they, they go to Samaria, and Jesus in the middle of the day around noon goes to cool off, to take a break at a well, and he meets a woman at the well who seems to be sort of an outcast of the community. We find out that the man she's living with isn't her husband, and she's had five husbands, and this is probably the reason why in that society she was looked down upon. She was not, she was not included. And yet, this is the person that Jesus chooses to reveal his Messiahship to. He could have gone to anybody and he went to perhaps what we call one of the least likely candidates. And as he's revealing himself to her, he sent the disciples out to buy lunch or to get food for their team. And so it's just Jesus and this lady. And she starts to believe that maybe this is the Messiah. This is crazy. He's read my mail. He's a prophet. He says that he's the one. Could he be the one? So she's just about to run away and tell the village to come see when the disciples show up. And so that's where we're going to pick up in the story Verse 27, John 4, at this point his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with the woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot, went into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and they were coming to Jesus. Verse 31, the disciples show up and they're urging him to eat, saying, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food from heaven that you don't know about. I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, he didn't bring food with him, did he? They're always one step behind. You know how, how they do. And so Jesus says to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. What is his, 
is the will of the one who sent him? What is this work? Well, he's telling a village who does not know him about himself. He is, he is sharing the good news about himself. This is the will and the work that God has sent him to do. Verse 35 picks up with our key passage of the day. He says to his disciples, Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are ripe for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you've entered into their labor. Okay, let's break this passage down just a little bit. Starting in verse 35, he's sort of, he quotes an, sort of an idiom of back in the day. It's just a very common, obvious saying that, okay, from a, the time you plant a seed to the time we, we reap harvest for that, it takes about four months. And that's normal. But Jesus flips the script a little bit and says, but, but, then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. So they just showed up. These disciples are rookies, right? They are noobs. They do not have scholarly training. They're not rabbis. They're fishermen. And they're just getting started. And Jesus says, okay, boys, it is time to reap. You're looking at this with the wrong eyes. You need to take off your lens and put on heaven's lens. I'm telling you, look, the fields are ripe for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages. So the one who's supposed to harvest the crop is getting paid because the job's getting done, and is gathering fruit. What kind of fruit? Are we talking about literal crops, wheat, barley, fruit for eternal life, eternal change of a person's heart when they give their life to God and make a life change? Already he who reaps is gathering that fruit for eternal life so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. There's this really interesting passage that we don't have time to flip to, but I'll paraphrase. It's Amos 9.13 where it paints this picture of the end times that when the Messiah comes, the land will be so fruitful that the different jobs, the one who plants, the one who waters, the one who reaps, the one who treads out the grapes, they will be stepping over and on top of each other because it's so fruitful that they don't even have time to, to reap what they planted because it just keeps popping up. It's so fruitful. And that is a very common picture, actually, of what it will look like when Jesus returns. And, of course, he's already come once, and we live between that and the reality of him coming back. We live in the age of the Messiah, in the age of the Holy Spirit. Lastly, verses 37 and 38, it talks about entering into someone else's labor. I think this is probably talking about the prophets of old who prophesied that a Messiah would come. And Jesus, other places, points out John the Baptist being the last in that lineage. And we... Uh, he says, we, to his disciples, we are, get, we, are, we are entering into this harvest that it wasn't even our work that prepared this, but you get the pleasure of doing that. So, really amazing that he lets his disciples do that. So, we, we still have a problem, though, don't, don't we? Because if I were to raise, ask to raise the hands, we're not going to do that. Who's ready to go out on the sidewalks and just share Jesus with somebody? You know, I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with that. So the question is, great, Clint, the, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, the fields are ripe, but how do we do this thing? Like, practically speaking, what, what, what do we do? I came here this morning to tell you that you're not alone in that, in the sense that other people feel that way, but also you're not alone in your evangelism efforts. 
It is carnal and fallen and myopic and all kinds of other things to think that we ourselves can convert people. God invites us to partner with him in his mission of seeking and saving the lost. That's what Jesus said he came to do, to seek and save the lost. And the key that will unlock your evangelistic mind of, okay, I want to reach people. I'm introverted. I'm not a scholar. I'm not a blah, blah, blah. The key to unlock this for you is the Holy Spirit. If you look at the larger context of basically the whole book of John, there's so much about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at that a little bit. I'll just paraphrase for you Acts 1.8, where Jesus tells his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I, think, I typically think of the Holy Spirit as there for just to refine me. And that's, amen, I need that. Lord knows I need that. Amen. But it's not just that. It's not just for you It's not and me. It's not just for our consciences to tell us, you know, to stop scrolling so much or something like that. That's probably what's on mine, you know. Um, but it's there for power. Jesus says to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will do what? Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the book of Acts is amazing. That's Acts 1.8. And the book of Acts follows that pattern exactly. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and it ends with Paul in Rome, sort of headquarters for global crossroads. And we are invited into that mission today. And I just ask you, have you stepped into that mission? Have you recognized that God wants to use you? What he's done in you, he wants to do through you. He doesn't just invite you to go to heaven one day, but he wants heaven to come inside of you and use you to love people and to reap harvest for him. There's a little bit more about the Holy Spirit. before We're going to get very practical, don't worry. But Jesus' ministry was marked by the evidence of the Holy Spirit. That's what it meant. In, in Luke 4, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news to the poor. Joel 2 and Acts 2, the very beginning of some of our favorite books of the Bible, emphasize the important role of the Holy Spirit. And that in, So in Joel 2 and Acts 2, it says, in the last days, quote-unquote, the Holy Spirit will be poured out. And I always like to say, if they were in the last days 2,000 years ago, how much more are we in the last days now? The Holy Spirit hasn't changed. The gospel hasn't changed this good news still preaches. Okay. Lastly, perhaps most importantly about the Holy Spirit this morning in terms of biblical grounding, John 16, 7 through 11. I won't read the whole thing to you because I want to get, get on with really putting some nuts and bolts on. How do you do that? But John 16, 7 through 11, you can go look at especially verse 8. It says that the Holy Spirit will come to convict the world of sin. So pressure's off, actually. It's not your job to convince somebody they're wrong. There's a place for debate. There's a place for apologetics, all that stuff. Totally for that. That's fine. <laughs> I don't know how many of you have gone out and really tried just like, hey, we're going to go on an evangelism day and go share. It's hard. It's scary. And it's so good to know that the pressure's off. It's actually not on you. It's only scary when you think it's about you. One of my favorite evangelists likes to say that his definition of evangelism is to give up all control so that God can have full control. And when you do that, you will find your life bearing fruit as well as just one more important passage. There's so much Jesus talks about abiding in him. 
He says, you can do nothing of your own accord. Unless you abide in me, you will bear no fruit. But if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And this is also a lot about Holy Spirit there. So, okay. Yeah, one of the reasons we, for, we don't do this well sometimes, myself, we forget the supernatural element of evangel. We forget the Holy Spirit. So what does that look like? I want to give you two pictures this morning of sort of metaphors of what partnering with the Holy Spirit looks like in evangelism. Two pictures, and I'll give you sort of three steps. Now, I'm shaking my head because it just feels so efficient, inefficient. There's so much more that we could talk about. But two pictures. The first picture is an apple orchard. You're going to have to use your mind for this. It's probably better than PowerPoint anyway. Okay, so picture an apple orchard. And I'm borrowing these, by the way. I can't take credit for these. The Holy Spirit revealed this to an Irish evangelist. And he said, all right, when you, when you go out there and you're going to share the gospel, you need to understand that every person is the apple of God's eye. In Zechariah, other places, God tells Israel that they're the apple of his eye. God so loved the world, not just those who do good, not those who go to church. He loves everybody before they do anything. They're the apple of his eye. And so when we go out as Christians in this harvest field to labor, we need to understand that all these people are people that God loves, and it's his orchard. It's not your orchard. It's not our church's orchard or the campus ministries. It's his. These are his apples. I'm just faithfully going out. And here's what the Holy Spirit said. Your job to Evangelist Scott. Your job is not to go out there and look at the different apples on the tree and say, yeah, I think they're ready. That one is clean. That one looks good. This one, I oh, mean, you can tell they're just not ready. Look at what they're wearing. Look how they talk. You hear what they said. Look at this place. Look at their friends. There's no way that person, I'm not even going to try. Like, maybe I'll just say hi or something, you know, but and that's, that's totally wrong. Open your eyes, Jesus says, to see that the fields are ripe. And I loved one of the songs that we sang, open up our eyes. to." It's so important. We have to look at people not through a carnal lens, but through the lens of the Spirit. In fact, the more lost they look, probably the, I found actually some of those, that is some of the most low-hanging fruit because they don't feel like sometimes they got it all together. It's all different. Anyway, so you're, you're an apple orchard worker. And here's the important part. When you speak, the Holy Spirit, the wind of the Spirit shakes the tree. And so you don't have to push and pull and fight and tug. It's just go share. And when you share, the Spirit will move. And it, you know, God honors free will. God honors our hearts. And some people have harder hearts than others. I've had a very hard heart at times. Who hasn't, right? But it's the Spirit's job. It's what the Bible says. It is the Spirit's job to convict people. So, First image is an apple orchard. I think that's really helpful. It's helped me a lot to encourage me to, okay, this is, it's not my job to push someone down or pull them or just really kind of force them into this thing, but it's just to invite and to announce the good news. Second image that uh, Evangelist Scott received that is so powerful is a tandem bicycle, a two-seater bicycle. There are different kinds of two-seater bikes. And I guess the ones in Ireland, I haven't actually seen one like this, but it's uh, the person in the back pedals and the person in the, in the back steers. Maybe they're all that way. I don't know. I've never, I'm not in that. But, yeah, so this is the tandem bicycle. Some, the one in the back pedal, their job is just to get this thing moving. They're called the stoker. And the person in the front, their job is simply to determine where are we going. We're steering this thing. That's the captain. 
And in your relationship with Holy Spirit in evangelism, and my job, we are the stoker. It's not our job to decide where to go, actually. It's our, it's our job to obey Jesus and just to go and to share. And as we step out and do that, the Holy Spirit will guide us. He will guide us. But first, we got to go. we got to go out. This one's free. I wasn't planning on sharing this. This is really good, too. Um, I don't get credit for any of it. But when, when you become a Christian, you receive B.O., not body odor. Everybody's like, yes, amen, thank goodness. Uh, but boldness and obedience, and these are your left leg and your right leg. And a lot of us, we pray, maybe we fast, we read the Bible, and we say, God, please, would you give me boldness that I could go do that? And he says, yeah, why don't, you, why don't you go try that, and then I'll give you more boldness. And so if we take a step of obedience and decide with one leg, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go share. Maybe it's someone you know, maybe it's someone you don't know, irrelevant. We'll talk about that later. But the next, so you take a step of obedience, and then God will, will meet you there. And he'll give you a little more boldness. And then you learn to walk and you learn to run. Maybe learn to pedal. You get some momentum. So those two images are very, to me, they were very helpful about this idea of partnering with the Holy Spirit in evangelism. Okay, so what does that look like, practically speaking? Uh, how do I do that? This morning I want to give you real briefly three levels of evangelism. Okay, three levels for everybody in the room, from the bold preacher to the movie theater, you're going to go down front and hallelujah, great. To those of you who said, I could never do that, we'll start there. First thing to do is to love people. Just love people and encourage people. Love is evangelistic. If you have a heart to show true love to somebody, they're, they're going to want more of that because people need love. People are broken. And in such a busy city like Houston, who knows that when you're at HEB or somewhere like that, who's not in a hurry? We're all in a hurry. But just to slow down, and when you pass somebody and you ask them how, you, how they're doing and you mean it, had some really powerful conversations start that I didn't even really want to have that conversation, to be honest, at that time. But they wanted more because they can feel the love. So step one is just love people. Jesus, before, he talks about sending out laborers into the harvest field in Matthew 9. It says, when he saw the crowds, when Jesus saw them, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. It started with compassion. And if we don't love people, we will never share. You have to love people and care about their knowing God more than you care about how you look. You, you will never step out and share if, if your main concern is how you look. And guys, I'm preaching to myself, okay, I, I'm preaching what God speaks to me and, and what I've learned. And there's no room for ego because you just won't, you'll just give up, you'll just quit. So you got to really love people and make it about them, not about you. So how do you do that? Just go do what you would normally do. Jesus says, go make disciples. Looks like he's actually, what he means is just as you go, when you do what you're doing, when you go to the grocery store, when you go to the movies, when you go pay your bills, just be intentionally and prayerfully sweet and helpful to people. Because there's a difference between, you know, tossing somebody a dime and you're on your way. and well, That's fine. But be intentional and be prayerful. As you're walking down the pasta aisle, you're, you got your, I'm serious, this is the best place to do ministry. You got your, your, your cart, thank you, God, for this day. Out loud or in your head's fine. I don't care, whatever. You're praying, God, thank you for this day. God, thank you that I have money to buy groceries. Lord, I just pray that while I'm here, Lord, you would give me somebody to love today. Give me somebody that I could sow a seed into. So that is kind of what we're talking about, intentional seed sowing. 
just love somebody. Level two, this I feel like is going to make the biggest change in people's lives in this room today because it's easy, it's less intimidating, and it is, it is really powerful. And the, the second sort of evangelism is praying for people on the street, in the marketplace, wherever. Or you're, for some of us, it's family. Even family that go to church, but we've never, we don't really experience that spiritual life together, something like that. But I'm thinking, you know, out in public. So go pray for people. It is not hard. If we go out and listen to people and just, you know, have normal conversations, how many complaints do you think you hear a day? And people aren't, they don't mean bad, but, you know, it's just fact is, yeah, man, I got this going on, I got that. Oh, man, that's crazy. Yeah, dude, I totally get that. Could I pray for you real quick? I have found through personal experience, vast majority of people will let you pray for them vast majority. I've, I've been turned down, but not that much. Real, real quick, a story. A student, she was not a Christian. She was um, from a, a, a country in Asia, and she studied the Bible with us. She studied the parables, and she was a great young lady. Really clearly, she was not, she just wasn't on board with giving her life to Jesus yet, but we had a great friendship, and I saw her in the religion center one day with her backpack. She worked there, but she was just passing through and I said, hey, Lucy, how's it going? And she said, oh, man, I got this test in a little bit. And yesterday I had this. And my boyfriend's car broke down. And blah, blah, blah. You know how it is. Just stuff's hard. I said, wow, that's really crazy. Could I pray for you real quick? She said, sure. And just a brief prayer. God, thank you for Lucy. Thank you that you love her. Father, would you just give her peace today and settle her heart and to know that you love her and that you work all things together for good for those who love you, God. Thank you so much. Amen. Real short, real brief. And she lifts her head. She's not a Christian, and she's got tears coming down her face. And, yeah, I, I'm embarrassed to say I was surprised, because as if I don't believe in the power of prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. But it just showed me, I was like, man, we really underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not, it wasn't me manipulating her emotions. I was building her up, not tearing her down. And she just got touched by the Holy Spirit. Did she give her life to Jesus right then and there? No. But I believe that's watering, you know, because uh, she had already heard. So, Tip on that, be brief, be simple, especially if they're the cashier at HEB and you got a line of people. You're just going to build up anxiety in the line and make her job harder if you rattle on and on. Just, God, thank you for this person, Lord. Help them to know you love them. God, thank you so much in Jesus' name. It do say in Jesus' name. Now, I think that's part of the reason people accept prayers because they just believe in a higher power. They don't know which one. So you, you, you make sure it's in Jesus' name. <laughs> okay. Lastly, lastly, yeah. The third step in evangelism, learn to do this, is in those same kind of conversations. You're at HEB, you're at the bank, wherever. Talk straight about relationship with Jesus. Bring in Jesus into a conversation because these prayers kind of hit and run. And this honestly still kind of is, but it's, it's more direct. So they're telling you about their struggle. You relate to that. If you, ha- you need a one sentence, one sentence, y'all, one sentence testimony of what Jesus did in your life or what he means to you. Some of us have had really radical life-change encounters with God where it's just, it's just easy. But, man, I was, I was right there with you, bro. I was so anxious and depressed. I was borderline suicidal. And, bro, when the Holy Spirit showed up, it changed my life. And if he did it for me, he can do it for you too. So short. Maybe that's not coming right out. Great. Man, yeah, I hear what you're saying, dude. That is so hard. You know what really gives me hope? The story about Jesus. Did you know that he died for the sins of the world and he loves you and he's coming back? He loves you so much, man. So a one-sentence testimony like that, practice it at home. And then ask them, do you know Jesus? It's not pushy. You're not calling them sinners. Not that they're not. You know, most, people, most people know that. <coughs> Excuse me. 
Um, but you ask them, do you know the Lord? So you just shared with the man, God gives me so much hope. Do you know Jesus? And a lot of people in Texas, their story is less about knowing Jesus and more about knowing church. Okay? And we need to be honest that that is not the same thing. It is not the same thing. So if they say, oh, yeah, I grew up going to church and da-da-da, but you can tell that right now they're far from the Lord, or at least maybe the Spirit's helping you discern that. It seems that way. You don't judge them on that. You encourage them and say, man, I totally get that. Yeah, life's hard, so it's hard to stay on the path. And just encourage them and try to get contact information. We want to make disciples, which is relationship, not just converts, come to church sometime. Invite them to church, but do whatever you can do to connect. Better yet, if they don't know Jesus, share the gospel real brief with them. I like to use this image, and we're almost done. I love this image of a road. It's, very, it's a very simple, gentle way to invite them in. Is you say, man, I hear what you're saying, and it's like, here's what I think is going on. It's like you're on this road, and you're doing the best you know how, but it's not working. And you're believing in the right God, but you're not really following him. And what Jesus wants for you is to get off of this road and turn from your sin and get on this other road and follow him. Do you want to follow him? Church, I really believe that when you ask that question in love, all of heaven goes silent. They can't wait to hear what this person's going to say. It's so exciting. You can do this. We can do this. Get their number. Be their friend. Invite them to relationship, not just church meetings. Try to connect them with other people. You know, it's all different based on you and your life. Are you single, married, or they, all these different things. So coffee shop, house, dinner, church, whatever, is, whatever works. But if you can, get a phone number. Leave a card if that's better for you. But, but, but find a way to stay in touch. Lastly, in this story in John 4, it said, many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. Who might believe and give their life to the Lord because of your testimony? There's only one way to find out. Lastly, as we're close with this, you can only share what you've received. You can only share as much love and forgiveness as you've received. If you don't know if God's forgiven you, you're, you're not in a position really to share much, are you? And that's okay because you're invited right now. There's pastors here. There's a church of great Christians that would love to help you take that next step of faith in following Jesus. Father, thank you for this day. We love you so much. Lord, would you help us to bear fruit for you? Give us courage in that. Bless us this morning in Jesus' name.